talking all things hunting and filming your hunts with Rudy Nunez of Tacticam. Let's go. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. What's happening, everybody? Coming at you from the Broken Tan Studio in Hayden, Idaho. This is Jim Huntsman with the Western Huntsman Podcast. Glad you guys are here and glad you're tuning in. I really appreciate it. Uh, we are uh, experiencing some of the first of the summer weather, it looks like. We're, we're hitting up... Uh, some 90 degree temperatures and all sorts of stuff. I, I don't know. That's what just that's just what my truck told me. So um, nice and hot and sunny and and uh, time to get out there and and enjoy. The, I, I wish we were up swimming on the river. So um, guys, I've got a great episode for you today. I've got Rudy Nunez. He's with Tacticam, and we talk a little bit about his his military history and uh, hunting. Obviously, elk hunting, deer hunting, coos deer hunting. Uh, and we talk about filming your hunts and how to how to set yourself up with uh, different types of cameras and, and this these Tacticam products to get all this uh, these memories on film, which I think is super important. So uh, it's a lot of fun. I we dive deep into it. it's it's interesting because I actually just ran into my buddy Bob Lagasa who was on the show a couple couple weeks back. Well, a little over a month ago actually. Now uh, we we were talking about his bear attack in Montana, right? And anyway. Bumped into him yesterday in uh, in Black Sheep, and uh, we got talking about filming, and, and we agreed we're, we're going to get him on prior to hunting season to discuss filming your hunt, and we're also going to bring Rudy back on to talk about filming your hunt as well, because um, I, and I should set that up by saying, I get a ton of emails from people that are asking me questions about how to film your hunt. Guys, if you've been on my YouTube channel, you'll see that it's only um, podcast episodes. I don't, I don't know how to film. I don't know how to answer your questions. I'm like a monkey with a camera, man. I'm, I'm not very good with this stuff. And so these guys are really good with it. They have a lot of experience, and I'm going to get a lot of per, uh, perspective from those guys coming up. Um, I'm shooting for August for those episodes. So if you guys are going out on a hunt, especially if you would like drew a, a glory tag, which we're all finding out our, our uh, tag results and draw results and stuff, you know, over the last few days. So uh, if you've got one of these great tags or, or just going to OTC, whatever, and you want to get it on film, stay tuned because in August we'll have these guys back on and the episodes are going to be super specific as to how to actually film your hunts. And whether you're going solo or you got somebody to, to tag along that can help film or a hunting partner, whatever, the goal would be to get these things filmed and, and uh you know, just it's such a good memory to keep and and post it somewhere, share the experience with everybody else because it's just uh you know it's just something cool. I, I I've been on so many hunts that I wish I would have had some kind of uh, whether I was just snapping pictures or filming. I have just always been really bad about that. Like I don't even have a the the I've got this mule deer rack in my TV room 
in the house. It's the biggest mule deer I've ever shot. Didn't even take a picture of this thing when I got him. Uh, so anyway, I don't want that to happen ever again. So uh, I've got I'm all set up with Tacticam now, and we're gonna start filming some hunts and get out there and and get some get some footage down, man. It'll be a good time. So anyway, that's what's coming up in this episode, and coming up in August. Uh, just so you guys know, if you're listening to this and we're hoping to come to Idaho to hunt as a non-resident, non-resident tags, I believe as of yesterday, um, are sold out. And so uh, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news if uh, if I'm one of the if if you're just learning this and didn't know, but yeah, elk elk non-resident tags are sold out for the state of Idaho for OTC. So. Really sorry if you guys uh, missed out on that. There, they seem to be selling out like a month earlier than uh, the year before, and it's been like that for like three or four years. Last year, I think they sold out at the end of August, or I'm sorry, end of July. Year before that, they sold out sometime mid-September. So it's like four to six weeks sooner every year. They're starting to sell out sooner, and that really kind of sucks. But it is what it is. So just so you guys know, elk tags are sold out for non-residents in Idaho. If uh, if you were hoping to to do that, so all right. So to transition a little bit, uh, I wanted to address an email that I got from um, I'll just use his first name, Derek. Derek is a listener in Florida, and he sent me and and I love getting these emails, guys. I appreciate you guys sending me these emails. They they you know this thing is a lot of work for me, and I really enjoy doing it. So I can't really call it work, but it, it's it's a huge chunk of time to put these podcasts together. And what really makes it worth it uh, is is getting emails like this from from you guys out there in any the audience, and just it like makes me feel like okay, you know what? This is helping people. Guys are listening. They're they're getting new knowledge. They're getting pumped for hunting season. They're getting pumped for hunting in general, and they're becoming passionate, more and more passionate. And and I just it just makes me feel good that that uh, you guys. I, I didn't. I actually didn't know. I had listeners all the way over in Florida as a as a Western hunting podcast, uh, you know, the Western Huntsman. I uh, didn't know I, I had listeners in Florida, so this is pretty cool. But uh, basically, Derek wrote in, and he's kind of what what's, what he's doing is he's he's coming out to Oregon each year, and uh, or he started coming out last year, right? And he's coming back out this year to hunt elk in September. And he what happened last year is he kind of he trucked it into the backcountry like 12 miles trying to get to this high elevation uh, areas of this unit he's hunting in, right? He's, he's trying to get above 10,000 feet uh, in the unit. And um, what, what happens is he, he didn't find a lot of sign back there. So he's backpack, he's, he's backcountry hunting. He's, he's kind of getting pigeonholed back there. And he, he asked me essentially uh, where, what elevation is, is kind of best for, for locating elk. So this year he's coming back out. He's bringing his dad with him. And his dad's never been elk hunting and always wanted to do it. And uh, they're not going to be doing, uh, you know, 12 miles into the backcountry this time. They're, they're going to kind of base camp it, which is what I would recommend, Derek. When you're coming out west and you don't know the country very well uh, out here or whatever unit you're going into, I don't recommend you go on a, on a backcountry hunt, man. Uh, go ahead and set up a spike camp and uh, or a base camp and and hunt from there and be mobile and go less miles uh into the into the back country every day versus a huge swath of or or like just a, a huge distance into the back country with everything on your in, in your pack and then you're kind of pigeonholed back there if there's no elk right 
So to kind of address the question of elevation for you, um, I'll be honest with you, Derek. I don't ever actually factor that in. I don't, I don't ever factor elevation in as, as like, like there's this, okay, between 7,500 and 8,500 feet, there's going to be elk or between 4,000 feet and 5,000 feet, there's going to be elk. That's, and, and this is just my experience. And, and you, you know, you, you, this question came from you listening to the school of September series and, let me just set this up right up front. I am no Corey Jacobson. I am no Dirk Durham. I'm not the elk nut Paul Medell. Uh, I don't have those kind of stats behind me. But I have lived in elk country my entire life with the exception of uh, the, the time I spent in the Marine Corps where they stuck me out in North Carolina. And there were no elk out there. <laughs> That's why I moved back as soon as I could. So anyways, I in fact, I live... I live in an area, I, so I, I, we go. We, we went up on the mountain and camped. I took the whole family up, and, and I did some bear hunting uh, this last weekend for Father's Day weekend, right? And I uh, came home, checked my trail cameras on, on our property where I lived, and, and I had elk on the, on, the, on the camera. So that just get, kind of gives you an idea. I live in elk country, and I've been around elk my whole life. And I will tell you, elevation, there is no science to it, despite what some people try to tell you. You will find elk in the lowlands. You'll find them in the low country, uh, private property type kind of areas where it's, um, you know, like where where I live, I'm only at 2,200 feet elevation, and I've got elk all over the place. I I hunt in in the units that are local to me, no higher than about 6,500 feet, um, and that's just because of the nature of these particular units that I hunt. We don't we don't have super high elevations, but I, I used to hunt at elevations uh, as high as 13,000 feet. And so in terms of elevation, man, don't focus on elevation, focus on areas that look like they will hold elk. Okay. We've talked about it in the school of September. When you're e-scouting, what do elk need in September? The cows have, um, have a certain need, right? And they're, they're usually looking for food and, and, and actually, the person to listen to on this is Randy Newberg. He goes through these seasons, you know, the five five phases of hunting season with with elk, uh, and really breaks them down. It's really good. If you haven't heard those podcasts from Randy Newberg, you need to do that. But I'll give you kind of my gist of it. In September, the cows are looking for feed. They're looking for safety, sanctuary kind of areas, away from roads, away from people, uh, where they can get away from predators. Where they have the elk live by thermals, by the way. You want to know the thermals like the back of your hand. If you haven't read the article that I put out on elk or uh, mountain thermals, go to the westernhuntsman.com and click on the articles tab and just scroll down until you find the uh, article regarding thermals. So elk are going to find these areas. At nighttime, they're usually down lower and they're feeding, right? Okay, they're going to feed lower. Then as soon as the sun kind of comes up, those elk start moving up the, the ridge, up the mountain, up to a higher elevation to bed down. They, they're usually looking for darker timber where it's cooler. And I'm talking September here. Uh, they're looking for a cool place to bed down for the day, maybe feed a little bit, get water. Uh, but higher elevation benches, those kinds of areas are, are critical for, for those cows. Okay, so what else happens in September? September also is the rut, right? So what do the bulls need? The bulls care about very little except breeding, okay? 
So if you could find the cows, you're going to find a bull. The bulls will be near the cows regardless of what else is going on in September. So you got to you want to focus a lot of people that come out west when they live uh, you know back east like you do or down south whatever and they're looking for elk they 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 kind of have this this big focus keyed in on how do I find a bull how do I find a bull dude don't find a bull find the find the cows and you will find a bull with them the bulls will be with them if it's kind of mid September they're going to have a big herd bull that's kind of the mac daddy of the herd and he's in charge and uh, then you're going to have a bunch of satellite bulls uh, running around wishing they were the herd bull. And keep in mind, sometimes those satellite bulls can be pretty big boys. They, they can be pretty big bulls. So don't discount a satellite bull. So back to your question, elevation-wise. When you're e-scouting, what you want to do is find these areas that are away from roads. And you had mentioned something about how difficult it is to determine which roads or trails are blocked to motorized access. Don't worry about that. Find the roads and then find the roadless areas, okay? Whether you're using a layer or you can use like Google Earth or Basemap or Onyx, it doesn't matter what you're using. You could find the areas that don't have roads and trails. Now, we're not talking about 12 miles away from roads. I shot my bull last year at 0.74 miles from my truck, okay? So you don't need to be worrying about hiking, you know, five, six miles away from a road and finding elk there. Don't pass up elk trying to get into uh, so-called backcountry because sometimes those bull elk will be right off the road. They're out of view of the road, but they will be right off the, the right off the road. I heard an elk one time bugle back at uh, some dusty brakes. Somebody was driving down the road. They had dusty brakes, and the brakes squeaked, and a bull elk chimed off right back at it. That tells you we're close enough to the road. These elk, despite what a lot of people say, do not go very, they, they don't necessarily go very far from the road. Now, that's not to say that you're not going to find some elk away from the road or, you know, deep 12 miles back into the backcountry. Obviously, you're going to, right? So, not a big deal to stress about it, though. Get you a base camp, find some drainages that are roadless, and start hitting those roads every morning or I'm sorry, hitting those uh, those drainage, drainages, getting away from the roads every morning. Get away from the roads, whether it's a half a mile or a mile, and that's where you start bugling. That's where you start your calling. And, and if you're not getting responses there, go further and keep calling. If you're not getting responses there, go further, keep calling. It's it, And that's, that's just the way I do it. That's not the only way to do it. But you ask for my advice. It doesn't matter if you're at 6,500 feet elevation or if you're hunting. Um, I One of the biggest herds of elk I ever uh, came across in the month of September, I was, I, well, to set that up, this, this particular part of the country, a low area elevation-wise was like 4,500 feet. So this is, you know, we're talking like a, I don't want to give it away, but it's like a Utah, Colorado kind of kind of situation where the state is just higher than than most other states. And so... Um, I only did, you know, a uh, 500 feet elevation gain in, and there was, there was 85 elk right there at the base foothills of the mountain. Uh, and this is in September and they're screaming their heads off. So I just don't stress out about the elevation. Don't, don't stress out about it. Just getting these, these drainages, worry more about how you're going to get away from people and roads than worrying about the elevation. The lower you get, you're going to tend to run into more private property, by the way. So anyways, I'm going on and on and on. I hope that helps, Derek. 
that was a really good question. The email was super long. He sent me he, he sent me a super long email that uh, I read, and I, I just wanted to make sure I answered that question because I, I like those kind of questions. I like the discussion of locating elk because I, I could tell you one thing. Uh, I'm not the best elk hunter. I'm not the best guy that uh, tags out every year, but I am really good at finding elk. It's closing the deal that I always have a problem with, <laughs> right? So, uh, but I can always find elk. I can, and I've always been that way. I've, I can always find the elk. And so, in this particular case, man, uh, elevation in in my mind, it's not like an irrelevant factor, but it's it's much further down the list. Don't worry about getting high as much as getting away from roads and people. Get away from roads and people. Uh, you know, like I said, and not you don't have to get that far. So, that's kind of my take on it, man. Uh, we have three more, let's see, right? Three, three, three more episodes of School of September that we'll uh, maybe cover in a little bit more detail with that. Uh, so hopefully that helps you out on this one and and just keep just keep plugging along through these episodes, man. We'll cover a lot more of that in the future as we go along. And uh, it's pretty cool um, coming coming out from Florida and, and hunting the West like this. This is this is pretty cool. So guys, I wanted to tell you one more thing. If you're on Facebook, I have uh, we have the Facebook page, right? The Western Huntsman. But we also have a group that is pretty cool um, that uh, we, we just kind of started it. And the group is called uh, Hunting the West-The Western Huntsman. And if you want more information uh, about topics like the one that Derek wrote in on, and, and you want to discuss that and, and kind of go through some of that, uh, jump on there, Hunting the West-The Western Huntsman. It's a private group, and it's all about Western hunting, real specific to elk and bear and, and deer. Uh, those are kind of the three main elements. Uh, oh, except my buddy Tad... He pointed out that I didn't I didn't specify antelope, uh, you know, pronghorn. So that that's also in there. So I'm just way up north, Tad. I don't have I don't have pronghorn up here, so I have to come way down south. So anyway, check that out. Check us out on Instagram, guys. This next episode, this dude I've got, his name is Rudy Nunez. He's such a cool guy, and he spent a long time serving our country. Uh, he, he went overseas. He did, he, he did a lot of work with the wounded warrior project. We talk about a lot of this and, uh, he just got into elk hunting a few years back and has had uh, some pretty good success on, on his, uh, on chasing elk. This guy's a stud in terms of being a Western hunter. Uh, and he works now for Tacticam and is real passionate about Tacticam and these cameras, these 4k resolution cameras, uh, that I've been using as well. I really like the audio quality and and the the camera itself is super easy to use because I don't know what I'm doing with it. But uh, the way that they have it set up, it's designed for guys that really don't know what they're doing, uh, but can still get some really good footage and and make it you know super user friendly that way. So that's that's way cool. Uh, it's also really good for guys that have a lot of experience and want really good footage and and really good audio and quality. Uh, it's a great product for that. So check it out. Guys, again, thanks for tuning in to the Western Huntsman Podcast. We are brought to you by Phelps Game Calls and Scree Extreme Mountain Gear. Enjoy this episode with Rudy, and let me know what you think. Talk to you soon. Guys, I am on the line with Rudy Nunez from Tacticam, coming at us all the way from Arizona. How's it going, man? 
Hey, Jim, doing well, man. I'm really happy to be on the show. Thank you. No, I appreciate you coming on. I'm pretty, uh, pretty worked up over this conversation. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of these Tacticams and uh, excited to kind of dive into them a little bit and, and talk some hunting and get, get some of your background and just kind of see where this conversation goes. Yeah, you know, any conversation that has to do with hunting and toys and getting out in the woods, that really excites me too. And, <laughs> and uh, really looking forward to this season, man. Yeah, me too. I think it's going to be a good season, man. I've, I've been saying it for a couple of episodes now between what I've seen weather-wise, what I've seen on the ground um, up chasing bears this year. I have seen more elk this spring uh, than I have ever seen this time of year. And so I just think it's going to be a strong year, uh, and uh, at least up in this neck of the woods. How, how are things looking down in your, your neck of the woods? You're down. What part of Arizona are you in, Rudy? Yeah, so if you're familiar with Arizona, we are, I am located in Cochise County, a little town called Sierra Vista. So it's about an hour and a half southeast of Tucson. And I can tell you from a high oh, point. That's way down my, there. Yeah, from a high point near my house, you can see the border. Um, I probably see it two or three times, a, you know, a week on my commute. Um, yeah. So we are way down south. But a lot of cool, a lot of cool country, real good coos deer hunting. Um, those are a real thing for those of you who haven't heard of them, just a, a smaller <laughs> subspecies of the white tail, like a black tail more or less. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. We've got a lot of, we, a lot we, of rich, a lot of rich, uh, rich land down here, man. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of variety of species of game. And mm -hmm. the, the only part about Arizona is there's just not as many tags, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The tags are, tags are a little tough, but those coos deer are pretty much over the counter, aren't they? Yeah, I know somebody's going to comment on this, probably say it's pronounced cows, which is oh, true. Yes. We, cows. We, 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 we call them coos deer down here, uh, by and large. So, Yeah, I was um, listening to the explanation of, of that from, I think, I think it was Randy Newberg was talking about, you, you could pronounce them cows deer or coos deer, and it just depends on, but is, uh, what, what is that guy's name, Jim Deer? And he's in Arizona. He's like your deer biologist down there for Arizona game and fish or something like that. I think he pronounces uh -huh. them cow's deer. Yeah, that's proper. And I, and uh, check my history, but, um, I think the, I want to say biologist or something that named the species or found the species. That was his name. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's pronounced cows, but you know, all of our social media sites down here have a thing called Tuesday, Coos day. So it would, you know, wouldn't sound right if we were saying Tuesday cow's day. <laughs> well, let me, let me just fill you in on, on a little secret about doing a podcast if we said coos deer, we're going to catch flack for not saying cow's deer. If we say cow's deer, we're going to catch flack for not saying coos deer. That's just how it rolls. We're going to roll with what's comfortable, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, and and that's totally fine. So, um, yeah, we talked about me maybe coming down there and and uh, going after some some coos deer with you. Uh, I missed the deadline now. Yeah, the the deadline was the ninth. Um, draw yeah. cycle just passed, but you know, there's always leftover hunts and uh, opportunities after the draw ends. So I'll keep a, I'll keep a look on that. Besides archery over the counter is that runs three months out of the year. So there's always opportunity and the best time to be hunting down here, whitetail and or uh, mule deer is January. We get the whole month of January till the 31st to chase them while they're in rut, you know, maybe due to geography, maybe due to, you know, um, you know, we're closer to the equator. I don't really know, but the, the deer, rut real late here in Arizona, which is really cool huh. phenomenon. Yeah. That would be actually super fantastic, man. I could leave my four feet of snow up here in North Idaho 
and come down and chase some some coos deer with you in like yeah, like it, january would be perfect yeah 31 days in january to yeah. hunt um you know it's usually the highs are usually in, in, in the 30s 40s so it's real comfortable man sweet yeah that no that'd be fantastic i i i was i was totally gonna put in for the draw uh, but you know, this, the, the coronavirus thing going on and, and everything else, it put, it, it like kind of put everything in this questionable state. And so it's like, you know, this probably isn't the right year to put in for a draw, um, just simply because of what, what the pandemic affected in other aspects of my life. I don't know if it's going to be doable. So, but, um, if, if they do have over the counter, I know, I know the archery is over the counter. Uh, mm-hmm. I might come see you, man. I, I might, I I'll, I'll bring the wife and kids, put them up in a hotel with a swimming pool and, and, uh, I'll go chase deer. <laughs> well, you know, I'm on four acres out here, four bedroom. Um, I call it the ranch, the all American ranch. And, um, man, there's always something going on, good food on the stove or on the grill. So you okay. guys are definitely welcome. All right. You talked me into it, man. That sounds great. I, uh, yeah. Well, you and I had, you and I had talked about elk hunting up in Idaho as well. And yeah. You know, I'm a, by all intents and purposes, I'm a pretty new elk hunter. Uh, my first elk hunt was in, Jan- um, I'm sorry, uh, 2017. Uh-huh. Um, I'd been, I'm a late hunter. I started big game anyway. I started big game hunting back in, golly, I guess it was 2010 or 2000, oh, 2011. So I was already almost 30 years old by the time I started big game hunting and just uh-huh. found some really early success. But um, I've had the opportunity to archery hunt Arizona and Colorado really love the over the counter opportunities that are out there. Mm-hmm. I heard you talking with Dirk not too long ago about the different opportunities throughout the state. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and as long as we have these public lands, man, and these opportunities that people, you know, might need to save up a year or two to do it, but it's, it's not that far out of reach. It's really not. And, and I'm glad you made that point. It's really not guys. There's, there's so many times I hear hunters, you know, they get caught up in this rut of, you know, if, if it's not just going to, they don't have the ability to maybe hunt local for one reason or another, or, or they want to hunt out of state, but they just don't understand. They feel like it's this big hurdle to get over. It's really not. There's opportunities all over the 10 Western States. Actually, I take that back. Not, not all 10 of them have great opportunities, but, um, there, there's definitely plenty of opportunity. And, and, uh, you were talking about coming up here and, and chasing elk, uh, man, I got the same invite for you. We've got some acreage up here and we're, we're in the woods and, and, uh, we can camp out here and, and in within four minutes, I'm in one of the biggest national forests in the United States. So, uh, from my, from my front door and, and that's where I go. That's where I chase elk. And, and so, uh, the invite's definitely open. Well, thank you, sir. Well, so, so Rudy, give us a little bit of, uh, Rudy Nunez history here. 101, uh, where are you from? Uh, where, how, how'd you grow up and, and uh, dive into some of your military time, and let's let's just start the conversation there. Yeah, um, just born and raised, small town Arizona. Um, you know, we're a desert people down here. Uh, luckily, where I'm from, we're high elevation desert, so you know it's not just cactus and stuff like that. When you picture Tucson, Phoenix, the Grand Canyon, that sort of thing. So yeah, was really was really blessed growing up. Um, had very supportive parents, you know, did the whole base, uh, you know, sports, you know, 12 months out of the year kind of deal, football, baseball, and wrestling. And, um, so anyway, fast forward through high school, gave college a try, gave it the old college try, didn't finish. Um, Mm -hmm. and then ended up enlisting in the military and 
I signed up to be a medic and ended up going to um, Fort Bragg, North Carolina for eight years as a as an airborne medic. So I got the opportunity to jump out of some planes and go on some really cool, unique assignments. And, oh, you and were, at, you were at Fort Bragg. I was at Fort Bragg for, well, sick. I was stationed there for eight years, but I had, a, I had, obviously I was assigned to some other places during that tenure, but yeah. What I'm years, really in, what years were you there? I was in Fort Bragg from 06 to 2013. Oh, gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was yeah. I was just down the road from you at Camp Lejeune, but I got out a few years before you got there. Appreciate your service, man. I appreciate your service. I, I must have missed that going through your social media pages that you were you were a Marine then. Yeah, yeah. Well, I so I got out at the end of 03. Um, in fact, I was supposed to get out of the Marines the exact same week that the Iraq war started. So that, that was my EAS, right? That was my, my, my last week. And, and uh, guess what? They said, no, you're not leaving. You're going to Iraq. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's where I went. <laughs> Spring break, Iraq, 2003, brother. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, military, just, life is, military life is loaded with surprises, man. It is. It is. But I, yeah, that's cool. I didn't know you were just down the road um, up at yeah. Fort Bragg and, and, uh, I mean, I, I think we, I used to go there all the time. I had a buddy that was stationed out there and, uh, we'd, we'd go, what is that town there? There's a raceway over there, Charlotte uh, or something. Yeah. Charlotte, Fayetteville, Raleigh, all just a really cool area. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, I think we, it was the, the Charlotte, uh, NASCAR race we'd go to a mm-hmm. lot. That was uh, like, I think they, it was a Coca-Cola 500 or something. I can't remember. I, I think I, it I, is. I remember we, we'd go, we'd go over there and set up camp right because these nascar races are like this whole weekend event in the south it's not just like you know people watching a football game it's everybody shows up and and hangs for the whole weekend and i remember this air force dude had his camp set up and uh you know how it is when you when you're young and in the military and everybody's kind of sticking their chests out and and marching around or whatever well this air force guy had this camp set up and uh, had created this mud wrestling pit in the camp. And he challenged me to a mud wrestling match or whatever. And I thought it was kind of questionable because we were both dudes. But whatever. I got in there and whooped his ass, man. It was awesome. <laughs> Representing the core. Hopefully not in Speedos, though. <laughs> no, no Speedos, man. I, was, oh, uh, man. I think I was wearing cowboy boots and everything when I got into that wrestling pit with him. <laughs> you know, for, uh, some of your, for some of your listeners who've never been in the South, it's it is interesting when it comes to NASCAR because it's so huge that you'll be listening to your favorite country music station, uh-huh. any local radio station, and then they'll interrupt this presentation to bring you a NASCAR race. So for the next two hours, you know, yeah. you're, you're listening to commentation of NASCAR. I mean, it's just that that big down it's there. It's a religion. It's like a religion, man. I mean, they would shut down entire towns for NASCAR races. And actually, I got to tell you, man, I had a great time going to NASCAR races. It was fun. We, we had a I've, lot of fun. I've been doing an event in Phoenix. And I'm like you said, you know, the days leading up to it, plus the couple of days, it's like Mardi Gras. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Out it's in like the parking lot. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. It's a good time. And I'm not, I can't sit in front of a TV and, and watch a bunch of cars driving around. That's not my thing. But when you actually go to the race, it's super entertaining. And I, I, I'm not picking on racing. I, I don't really do that with any sports, you know. And so, uh, but, but it, when you actually go to the race and you, you smell the, the cars and you hear the cars and how loud they are, it's, it's like this amazing event. I could see why people get into it. But, yeah, you're right. It's, 
it's a, it's a, it's a religion down there for sure. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see if the see, you know, I, baseball is interrupted. We'll see what happens with these other sports that are coming up. I know a lot of sports fans out there, I know. like you were mentioning before, just, just some really strange times right now, man, but we're, we're going to get through it. I agree. Yeah. We'll, we'll get through it, man. It's, it feels like things are, are starting to plug along, kind of going back to some semblance of normal, uh, or normalcy and, and, yeah. uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. So, so eight years out there, huh? Jumping out of airplanes and stuff. Yeah, man. A lot of fun. Um, eight years out there, uh, deployed to Iraq, uh, for 15 months during the president's surge, 06, 08. Oh, and yeah. then in 2010, we, um, the earthquake in 80, Haiti happened. So our brigade, uh-huh. second brigade combat team, um, got, got deployed out there in a haste. That was a mess. Um, so we spent three months out there doing humanitarian mission. And then I ended up getting a, a, a just a unique, awesome assignment um, as a casualty assistant liaison officer out in Walter Reed. So oh, Washington, really? D.C. Yeah. So I, I burned up a lot of miles, you know, rubber up and down I-95 between, man, just the cool hunt opportunities that I got out there hunting North Carolina, Virginia, Washington, uh, I'm sorry, Maryland. Um, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Georgia, um, huh. Alabama, man, I'm telling you. And that was before I even hunted Western style hunting. You know, w- once I got out in 2013, I, I, I came back home and all I had to my name was a, was a bow, I think like a day pack and a, and, and a range finder <laughs> and, you know, out here, man, you need good glass, you know, good rifle, mm-hmm. good just a whole lot of different things. So, so that was 2013. We're in 2020 and I'm still putting together my, my arsenal. You know, it's always, it's always a growing endeavor. Oh, and so it sounds like you have this level of expectation that putting together your, your, uh, your gear list and everything else is, is, has, is going to eventually come to some kind of conclusion, huh? That's the lie I keep telling my wife, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, and by, all, by all accounts, I really am a pretty budget minded hunter. Mm-hmm, I mean, me I too. wear, I, yeah, you know, I, it's pretty mild weather down here. So I wear redhead by Cabela's, you know, stuff. I have a, a nice puffy jacket and really nice boots. That's, that's really important. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, I, I'm still shooting the same, um, uh, Bowtech from like 2011 or 2012, you know, I just, every time I want to get a new one, I can't justify it because the darn thing still shoots straight. <laughs> I know, right? I have the same, I have the same problem and I call it a problem, but I think yeah. it's a problem. I have, I have friends that like buy these new bows, like super high-end bows every year. And I'm still shooting my old PSE Stinger from, I think it's same, same, uh, same era there. I think it was from 2012. And, uh, Man, I just I keep killing things with it. It's fine. I don't. I just don't want to spend the money on it because, and it's not that I'm cheap. I just, you know, I've been married long enough to understand where where you could really push those limits in terms of your hunting budget, you know. And and uh, I'm pretty mindful of that. I will say that once I got out to Arizona from the East Coast, um, I really got into long range shooting, mm-hmm. reloading. Um, I won't say that I'm a long range hunter. That's not what I try to do. Um, most of our kills are within, you know, 200 yards or so, but my wife holds the record in the house. She shot, she shot a coos deer at, uh, 684 yards two years ago. That was her very first. Oh, dang. Yeah. That's, so, that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, man, we, uh, we, we, we really spend a lot of time with understanding like ballistics and with the reloading, you know, you get the, you know, you get the um, consistency in your loads and everything. And so anyway, long story short, like I do have a little bit of a problem buying rifle, <laughs> buying rifles, <laughs> but even at that, you know, I'm still buying budget stuff. I mean, I'm not yeah. sponsored by, but my favorite rifle is Savage for bolt guns and mm-hmm. a variety of scopes and stuff. And I just like, I like the challenge of being able to get like new pe- platforms, new calibers and being the best. I, some guys will say, pick one and be the best you can with it. Like I like to be able to master as much as I can, you know, as fast, not as fast as I can, but just try to be a student to different disciplines, you know? Sure. Well, and there's nothing wrong with that because I think what some people don't take into account is, is shooting in itself is, is a hobby in it, it with, with, within itself, right? Yeah. What, what you're doing with hunting is you're kind of meshing the two together and, and you need to be proficient with both of them because, um, you know, I, I think that I got burned out shooting so much in the Marines that, uh, because it was just constant range time, you know, and you, 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 I'm sure it was like that for you guys too. Like you're always at the range. Uh, you get bored with it. Like I got bored. I probably shot a million rounds out of that rifle and, and I just, I got bored with it. And then for several years, I just did not spend a lot of time behind my scope or behind my rifle practicing and, and it's starting to come back. Uh, I enjoy it more now. It's more, now it's like relaxing again, where it, it just used it, it used to just kind of be a grind, you know. It was a chore. You yeah. know, you know, the sun would go down. You'd spend two hours cleaning up the range, and then another two hours before you could even turn your 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 weapon system in. Mm-hmm. You, know, you had that arms guy that uh, it was never clean enough. So <laughs> I know I hated those guys. <laughs> they had right. to put they, them in different they, barracks because they they would piss us off so bad. Well, you're right. And I'm like, it is some, some E5 that's been busted down two or three times. It's like, you just not want to go home, bro, or what? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. You've got nothing outside of the armory. Come on, man. Let's speed this that's up. Right. It's freaking Friday here. Yeah. That's right. No, that's funny. Where, so where all did you go when you were in the army? Um, yeah, well, so, you know, Fort Bragg is the center of the universe or so they say. So, um, mm-hmm. I was stationed there my whole career. Um, but I did, like I said, I did get that two-year assignment in Maryland or DC, rather, working yes. with wounded warriors, which was which is one of the most fulfilling, rewarding assignments or jobs I've ever had. Was working yeah, with those. Tell us a little bit there. about that, man. Tell us a little bit about your experience with with uh, wounded warriors. I, I've, I'm intrigued with that. Yeah. So um, it really sucks that they that you that you have a job like that 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 needs to be filled, but. So every most army units, what they do is they'll send a representative either from their installation or from their core level. Even the Marines had, you know, Marines, special forces, Rangers, all of them. So what you do is you go down. We were down there on an assignment, a special assignment. And so every time um, a service member would get hurt that was in your unit or parent unit, they would get hurt. They'd go through launch stool um, and then they'd be um, Aravac or Medivac down to Walter Reed. So mm-hmm. you have, you have ca- um, obviously medical staff and cadre and stuff like that, that once you come in, um, you know, now obviously like all their post care starts. So you got to bring the family in. Um, so we were having, we were having golly three or four. And then sometimes up to like five or 10 soldiers coming in per week from Jeez, Iraq and man. Afghanistan in various stages of injury. Um, and thank God, you know, we only lost 
the two years I was there, we only lost two service members. Uh Um, But, you know, guys that were coming in with missing, you know, double amputees, triple amputees, um, you know, just watching them and and being by their bedside and growing with their families and helping them navigate this big bureaucratic system and, you know, helping them through their um, med boards so that they, you know, some of many of them had aspirations to stay in the military and, and some of them did, but a lot of them took that medical retirement and um, many of whom are doing well these days. Um, some of who are succumbing to, you know, the 21 a day suicides that we're seeing. Yeah. So it's just, I think with that, not to get too far off that topic, but when you're in Walter Reed or that community, there's so much support around that city. Um, there's so many or nonprofit organizations that are, you know, taking them guys out to ball games or concerts or fishing or boating, um, that sort of thing. So I think then one, once these individuals get discharged, they go back to their hometowns and yeah, they're with their family and friends and stuff. But I think maybe that's where like the support needs to continue. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. You There's, know, uh, I, and I, I don't, I don't know if I've ever said it on the podcast, but I, I think some of the darkest times in my life was that first, uh, probably 12 months or so, uh, going from the active duty Marine Corps to civilian life right? and, and the adjustment. And it was, it was even like even more hyper, uh, shocking to our system for, for a, a lot of us guys. Cause we, we went from Iraq to civilian all in like this six to eight week time period, right? They just kind of right. rushed us all out because we were stop lost, you know, and sure. all of a sudden we go from that environment to, you know, the family wants to go down. My, my grandpa always liked to go, go to this uh, buffet for, for these different, you know, uh, occasions or whatever. Long story short, I, you go to these buffets, right? And people would just mosey and mosey and take their sweet ass time getting through them. And like my level of patience was so thin that right. I, I was almost like a danger to society. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, it was like just this dark time in my life that first year out of, out of the Marines. And, and it, and really it didn't have anything to do with like being in Iraq or anything as much as it did. I had just been, you know, just about five years in active duty Marine Corps infantry life. And it's just, a, it's such a different world. And these guys that come back and, and they've been wounded overseas and, and then they get kind of shoved into, into their hometowns and, and have to kind of deal with day-to-day life after going through that. The magnitude of that from, you know, a mindset perspective is, is like unimaginable, especially for people who've never been, uh, spent a day in the service. I just like, do you still stay in touch with those kind of guys? Oh yeah. My battle buddies, we stay in touch. Obviously social media is, is a godsend for that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I had my, my wife and I were married, um, two years ago and I had a few, of my battle buddies from different stages of my military career serve, you know, be as best men. So they came in and supported, man, we had, a, we had a ball, but yeah, that's fantastic. So like, but I, Oh, go ahead. 
I was just going to say like, to your point, like you said, you went from, you went from hundred miles an hour back to zero miles an hour back in your hometown, you know, mm-hmm. there's even a noticeable difference between military towns and non-military towns. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Not you know even, what I mean? Yeah, I mean totally. They, you know, military towns, people, the locals, man, they know the deal. Mm-hmm. Luckily I live in, I live in a military town down here. So I still have Fort Huachuca and you know, we, I, I do go to the hospital up there and stuff. We get treatment up yeah. there. Obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, still get to use the PX and stuff. So that's always cool. We need to buy some tax. Oh, that would be, that'd be pretty sweet, man. I don't have a PX around me. Yeah, no, we, we it, it's not a bad little community, but. Huh. No, that's great. So with, with Wounded Warrior Project, is that, is that something that like, let's say we've got a listener out there listening that um, would be interested in somehow helping or getting involved in that. Is, is there options for, for that person? Yeah, so there there are so many organizations out there, and of course you know about the big ones because they spend a lot of marketing ads and stuff like that. So Wounded mm-hmm. Warrior Project is one of them. Um, there's just a ton of them out there. When I, when I was in the epicenter at at Walter Reed, you know, are kind of it's very hard to find reputable nonprofits that really, you know go above and beyond to help the service members. Yeah. Um, and, and you caught me off guard because, you know, I, I haven't thought about the the different varieties or I even know who's still luckily because we're winding down, there's not as much need for these kind of organizations, but they're still sure. out there. So I would say, yeah, you know, wounded warrior program, um, you know, they do, they do really good work. There's um the yellow ribbon foundation. There's, um, just a whole lot. I, I would say go online, find you one, um, take a look at you know testimonials and, and stuff like that about what they're doing. Um, but we're really winding down, which is the positive side of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, the need for those services and that support hopefully is going to start transitioning from injured service members returning to now, you know, service members with long-term necessity, like needs. Yeah. More, more long-term kind of getting to the swing yeah. of life kind of situation. Yeah, for sure. And I just, I, I mean, I want to make a note out there because I think that there's what what you're saying. There's good in the fact that it's winding down and the necessity is being reduced. But I know that there's people out there, and and maybe you're listening to this, that are still struggling from the effects of of serving in the military overseas in some of these combat environments. And I just want them to know, like you, you guys, you guys need an ear to bend. My email is jim at thewesternhuntsman.com and don't hesitate to reach out to me because I'll get you my cell phone number and we can talk. So I just don't ever, I, I hate hearing about these, uh, the, 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 the pandemic of suicides that we've had with veterans. It drives me crazy. I can't, I can't handle that. So I, I just want to be there for anybody that's, uh, that's listening. That's fantastic. Yeah. Guys, I want to spend just a couple of minutes talking about who makes this show possible. Scree, Extreme Mountain Gear. This is high-performance hunting attire and gear, scientifically tested camo patterns, and it's all backed by a great company that I wouldn't recommend to you if I didn't truly believe in it. The name Scree kind of has a, an origin out of the Scree rock. They changed the spelling on it, but that rock found at the bottom of rock faces and cliffs, particularly in high elevations, real rugged type kind of country. Uh, I've been using Scree for uh, all spring for for barren turkey and i'm really impressed with it i had the founder on a few episodes back and he said something that really struck me he wanted to produce high performance hunting gear but at a responsible price it's a real interesting term and it's true everybody knows you can drop a small fortune on name brand hunting attire 
But with Scree, you get the name brand, you get high-performance hunting gear, a lifetime warranty, VIP sizing guarantee, which it doesn't cost you anything to exchange the gear if it comes in the wrong size, and very effective concealment patterns, all without breaking the bank. I really like the bundle options, especially the Elite Starter Bundle. It's like a really good deal, perfect for September and October hunts all over the American West. Uh, you should check it out. It's a great way to get started in the gear and, and begin with your layering systems. Uh, Scree offers a complete layering system for all terrains and all conditions. And it's it's just a great deal, especially, again, that, that Elite Starter Bundle. Oh, and if you use the promo code the Western Huntsman at checkout, you'll get 15% off and free shipping. That's a big deal. Great gear, great company. It's a great story. It's a whole package. Check it out. The link is in the show notes, guys. Phelps Game Calls. One thing I love about the companies born out of hunting is their story. The American success story that walks us through how something started small and grew into something spectacular. Phelps Game Calls is quintessential to this. Jason Phelps started making calls as a hobby in 2009, wanting to make a more realistic sounding, right? Now, 11 years later, Phelps is one of the premier hunting call companies on the planet and for good reason. It's a great story, and Phelps is just filled. It's one of those companies that is just filled with excellent, first-class, salt-of-the-earth kind of people. I've been calling elk with, uh, with Phelps for a long time, uh, and long enough to know that it's an effective, realistic, it's a durable, and easy-to-use call. I gave my teenager a Phelps read last summer to learn on uh, before September, you know, and like a month later, she was bugling bulls in with me. It's the same exact read I use as an advanced caller, so they're great for beginners and advanced callers as well. So I'm a huge fan of the Phelps game uh, elk calls, but I also use their predator calls. The fawn in distress call has been my go-to for bears this spring. I also called in a few turkeys with the black bat turkey read. They also have waterfowl calls, and they're coming out with some new deer calls. Hit up the website and check it out. The link's in the show notes, and if you find something you like, use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. Whether you're just getting started or have expert level calling skills, check them out. Phelps, get them close. Yeah, no. So, gosh, man. Yeah, we we went down uh, kind of a rabbit hole there, huh? <laughs> it's not going to be the last, Jim. No, it won't be. It won't be for sure. I want to talk about this. Uh, you sent me a link to this YouTube video of this elk hunt that you were on uh, using your Tacticam. And you nailed this elk. Where was that? Yeah. So, so that was my first, like I mentioned before, my first elk hunt. That was in um, Unit 4B in Arizona. And um, I was hunting with my uncle that year. We had um, drew tags, lightning struck. Mm-hmm. We drew tags and um, started the scouting process. He's got a, a, a cabin up there in that area. So he's there, you know, every, like twice, twice a month. So we were checking game cameras, getting ready for the hunt. We had a pretty decent um, season that year with moon and, you know, water and everything on the ground. Mm-hmm. So I, my very first elk hunt, I hate to say, and I love to say it at the same time, was over in about 45 minutes. Oh, Got really? out to the hunt. Yeah. You know, wow. I made the, I made, I made the seven hour, eight hour drive up North, met him that Friday night. That Saturday morning was the second day of the hunt. First day for me. Um, we get out and the bulls are bugling. Um, and we start kind of calling our way into the action and everything. And, 
And then um, before you know it, before even sunrise, it, you know, start to get blue out. Um, we were, we had elk coming in. And so right around, I want to say it's around 645, my uncle, you know, he plugs a spike. Um, and then, <laughs> so we go over there, we're, we're bumping chests and doing the man thing. And I was like, well, Hey, I'll help you. I'll help you dress this out. And let's, let's get him out of here. He was like, man, it's early. I, I know, you know, I'll take care of this. You go, you know, go call, go, go hunt. So I was like, okay, grab my bag, started walking out. And maybe 20 minutes later, man, 30 minutes later, we had, I had my bull on the ground and, um, and you called him in. We called, yeah, together. We called in probably five or six elk that morning. Gotcha. Gotcha. A couple of raghorns, a couple of spikes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the one that, you know, I had a cheater, cheater six by six, he was broken off, but, um, you know, 238 inches was what he scored. Nice. Um, which to me didn't matter to my uncle didn't matter either. He shot a spike, you know, we, yeah. bust, we got that first one out of the way. Um, heck of an experience. Got it all on tacticam from the moment we started calling out of the truck all the way until that the second bull was down on the ground. Um, so you guys but, had quite a pack out between the two bulls that one day. Yeah, we, so I think he shot his at 645, me at 715 thereabouts. We didn't get that, my bull out, the, uh, the second bull out till about three 30 in the afternoon. That was like, that was when we Jeez. had everything in the truck and ready to go. And, you know, and we were driving out of there. So when I, I'm just curious, like, okay, so you, you, you're over there with your uncle. He's got a spike down. It was, you said it was your uncle, right? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. So you're over there with your uncle spikes down, you're hearing bugles and he's like, dude, go chase, go chase a bull. Go, you know, yeah. I'll take care of this. And you kind of go walk hunt. off. Yeah. Go hunt. Um, you get a bull fired up and this six by six with a cheater comes, comes walking in. You whack him with your, with your bow. And when you walk up to him and you've recovered him, you found him. What, like, what did that feel like being your first bull? Oh man, it was, it was hard to explain. It's something I wanted to do my whole life. Um, I remember as a little kid going up North with my dad and my family, we go uh, trout fishing up in, in the white mountains and, you know, in November timeframe, seeing guys, you know, standing around a pickup truck at circle K and you see antlers hanging out. And then mm-hmm. I thought, man, those guys are Kings of the world. Right. I, you know, I, just, I had the same kind of upbringing. That's awesome. Yeah, man. And you just, you just think one day, you know, and it took me longer than most people, but it's like, just when I, I'm real big about if you shoot it, you put your hands on it first. It's just one of those things like no humans ever touched that animal before. So even mm-hmm. when I'm hunting with other people, I offer that same courtesy. But when I went and I like patted that guy on the shoulder and just got a, got a real sense of just the, the he was a huge elk. Yeah. You know what, yeah, what I had boy. left hanging. Yeah, what I had left on, hanging on the scale was, you know, 380 pounds, which I was like, man, that would, that would be about four or five coos deer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd have to have a pickup load of coos deer to get this. That's right. Meat, man. Yeah, I had every emotion going through my mind, man. Um, you know, sentimental. Ex- I was ecstatic. I felt like a king of the world. And I just remember thinking, like, you know, what a blessing this is. And, you know what a great country mm-hmm. that we have that I had the opportunity to do that. Um, and just live free. Like, there's a lot of things that go through your mind. I mean, it's a lot different, you know, hammering a 
a deer at 200 yards through a rifle scope, but, or getting yeah. up close and personal to an elk that, you know, he was 30 yards. He's blowing he, in your face. Blowing in your, my face. Cause I had a calling sequence with him. Um, in fact, I, I can be, rewind a little bit to that. When we found out we got drawn for that hunt, mm-hmm. I didn't wait till September to try to start figuring things out immediately i started consuming content i started reading about elk behavior i started i started um reading and and watching videos on elk calling and i could tell you to begin with it was pretty ugly um but you know guys like guys like dirk who i who i uh started watching and i gotta give the elk nut palmadel a lot of credit too because that guy just knows elk yeah oh for sure yeah and you know i watched you know, Corey and, and Rocky and all them, mm-hmm. you know, there's different, there's different styles of hunting and, and, you know, there's the aggressive approach. There's the, you know, the skillful approach and, you know, what is the elk asking for? I'm not going to say that I'm a master at any one, but I've, I've tried a few different ones, you know, yeah. few different theories. And, and so far in my three years of elk hunting have been pretty darn successful. Like my, myself, I killed my uncle killed, um, I took a buddy out in 2018 and we killed a, a bull at eight yards, called him in. Nice. And, um, and then last year in Colorado, I got skunked, but we were in elk, had a two, had a, had a couple opportunities. Colorado was a really interesting hunt. Um, we were right around 11, 12,000 feet. Is yeah, that a backcountry hunt? Uh, yeah. You know, we had a, we had a main camp, but as, gotcha. as far as backpacking in, not, not, not necessarily. Not camped um, back there. You just, you had like a base camp you were kind of operating out of. Yeah, we had a base camp, you know, and, and if yeah. the elk were moving, we were moving. Um, so, but that was one where it was, it was still, golly, it's still 72, 73 degrees, you know, at, at 11,000 feet in the first week of September. I'm not going to make that mm-hmm. a, as an excuse, but, you know. From, well, I mean, from, a guy, I would imagine a guy coming from Southern Arizona, that was like, you were probably wearing a puffy jacket, weren't you? At 72 degrees? I, I, <laughs> no, not, not so much, but I, I was ready for the cold. I'm done you. And I was yeah. my, much to my surprise, you know, it was, it was like Arizona weather. So I got a question for you. I, it, you'd, you'd mentioned, you know, that would have taken five or six coos deer kind of thing. Um, how did, how does the size of a coos deer compare to a North Carolina whitetail? Yeah. So, I mean, God. So being a subspecies, I don't know, you know, I think. Cause I, I, I and I, I say that because my first whitetail was a North Carolina whitetail. And I like, I, I swear my golden retriever had a bigger body. Right. Yeah. So I, I didn't experience really huge deer in North Carolina. Um, but no, there, I'll tell you what, man, I, I plugged this doe in Indiana one year. Um, well, Indiana whitetails are a lot different than North Carolina whitetails. And I, oh, I yeah. think to take it even a step further, I was on, I was in coastal North Carolina and I just remember, you know, coming from out West, these huge mule deer were that, that was my life, man. Mule deer hunting. You know, that was, that was everything. These great big majestic mule deer get off the plane. They put us on a bus and we get out to Camp Lejeune and like, it's kind of sunset or whatever. And I remember seeing, I, I was like, what are those? Uh, those are like dogs out there in the field, you know? And, and, uh, 
lo and behold, they're, they're whitetail and they're just so much smaller. So I was just curious if there's like some kind of comparison you've ever had that in your mind between, uh, you know, a Southern Arizona coos deer versus, versus a, like a coastal North Carolina whitetail. Yeah, you can, you can probably make the comparisons. I mean, if we're just talking weight, body size and stuff, yeah, I just can weight, that weight. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe about on par. I think the coos deer are probably a little bit smaller. You, you could liken them to blacktail or I think Florida has a subspecies, the Seminole or, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. But, but um, really unique is just like the way their antlers grow. I have to send you some pictures of some of the antlers that we have down here. Yeah, don't do see it, a lot man. of drop. Don't see a ton of like dropped hinds or really you know, the eye guards are really short and coos deer and, hmm. and, um, and really, God, man, I don't even know what the state record is in Arizona, but I can tell you that for a Pope and young coos deer, I think it's like 80 inches or something like that. Okay, man, I need to come see you in Arizona. <laughs> and we're we're going to go hunt a coos deer. I, I'm just like, I'm totally intrigued by these things. Yeah, a gold um, standard for us down here is 90 inches. Okay. You know, we, we, look, uh, we obviously look for mature deer, um, sure. but you know, we, if a gold standard, we try to go by is a three by three, you know, 90 inches or better. You shoot a hundred, hundred inch coos deer, man. And it's like, you you know, you'll be telling that story for 30 years, Sweet, um, but there, there are good deer down here. Don't get me wrong. You know? Yeah. You guys have some monster mule deer too. Yeah. Big, big mule deer. The Arizona strip mules. obviously is world renowned, but even down mm-hmm. In these, in these in these sleeper counties and these sleeper units, there's big deer. And I can tell you what, like I hear people tell me say all the time that mule deer are dumb animals, man. They're they're too easy to hunt. Shoot, I'll be watching big deer from you know July to August, and then come rifle season, like October November, I have no idea where these big deer go. Yeah, I know. Uh, I think <laughs> they they communicate, you know, with the deer up here. They <laughs> they disappear. No, I am I not the only I, one. <laughs> I've said I've said that several times. Mule deer until they're about a you know two and a half to three and a half years old. You know, a good three point, yeah. dumbest damn deer you'll ever see in your life. Once they hit that though, and if they survive past that point, I feel like mule deer are super smart and they're they're super cagey. Um, they, they get to this point where they just, they've learned their environment. They're just such a master of their environment and whitetail are no different. Whitetail are super smart too, you know? And so I don't know if there's one that is smarter than the other. I know I, one of the episodes of a couple, a week or so back, I, I was talking about how much I felt, you know, a, a, a mature mule deer is probably smarter than a mature whitetail, but when they're young, it's vice versa. And, I don't know. I was expecting to to catch a few emails off of that one. I never did, but I, I just, I don't know. I don't think that anyone really truly is any smarter than the other one, except for when they're young, a three point whitetail would like school a three point uh, mule deer in terms of intelligence. I, I feel like it's just after that point, they start getting a lot smarter, but, um, and, and then, so I want to go back. I want to go back. I got, uh, again, here, here we go. Um, side hill on it again, but, um, I want to go back real quick to elk hunting. Yes. So you kind of, you kind of, you got out of the service, right? And and you come back to Arizona. You've never, you never elk hunted before. You start, you get, I assume you, you probably got the elk nut app and, and watched all, all the videos with Corey Jacobson and Dirk Durham and, and uh, all these guys, right? And did I miss, yes. did I miss you? I thought you said somebody else and I, now I'm drawing a blank, but um. 
Like what, what did you, cause I'm, I'm always, I'm super curious about this, especially for like adult onset hunters. What, what were some key takeaways from, from all these different resources that you had to learn elk hunting from? Uh, what like kind of stands out in your mind in terms of, okay, that sticks in my head and that worked in the field. What, uh, from a, from somebody just getting into it, you know, what, can, can you kind of expand on what I'm, if you're, if you're smelling what I'm stepping in, can you expand on it? Uh, I'm smelling. Um, so yeah, you know, I get, I get asked this all the time and, um, I'm still trying to pinpoint like the best, the best response to it. But, you know, I think, I think it, it all had to do with like the type of content that I was consuming, um, actually taking the opportunity to, to read some stuff. Um, and then of course, you know, I, I have the resources to be, to have been able to go up and scout and do that kind of thing. But I think most importantly, I surrounded myself with people who were knowledgeable having conversations just like I'm having with you right now, mm-hmm. you know, um, you and I are probably going to touch base again and, and I'm going to learn a little bit about uh, hunting elk in Idaho, in Idaho, because it's probably nothing like a hunting elk down here. Um, so really just, just being a better student, I guess, um, when you're a little bit older. Um, also, I think also, there's also that feeling in the back of your mind where you're like, man, how many good seasons do I have left? I really need to make sure that every, opportunity I have, I, I maximize. I know you're I worry about that too. Up, yeah. I mean, really that I'm, I'm 38 years old now, you know, I could have good, a good 20, um, hunting years left, but how many good elk years, you know what it takes to get a, a, an elk out of the field, you know, unless you have a pack of mules or three or four, you know, Dude, young I, I'm telling you, I will get creative. I don't care what has to happen. <laughs> so I, I've got a year on you. I'm 39 and I, I'm, uh, I want to hunt, uh, I, I want at least another 30 seasons out of, out of me for elk hunting. I agree. I will get alpacas if I have to. I agree. Uh, you, you know, and so you said something super interesting though, that you're like this, you're a good student. You're a lifelong student. Uh, I really like that because there's, there's so many guys that I think they get, and it's not just with hunting, but we, we get stuck in these ruts where we kind of have this sense that we've mastered something or, We've learned so much that, or, or that, that old saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks kind of thing. Right. I think all that's BS, man. I love learning, especially when it comes to hunting. That's one of my favorite parts of doing this podcast. You know, you'd mentioned I'd, I'd had Dirk on and Elk Nut yep. and uh, I just, uh, to actually, as we're recording this, I'm uploading the Corey Jacobson episode uh, for School of September's, and, or September. Awesome, awesome and, series, by the way. Oh, thanks, man. I, I'm really having a good time doing it, but the, the key uh, takeaway out of doing school of September is I'm learning a ton. I'll bet you I'm learning more than the listeners are. Um, right. it, just because that interaction, when you're having a conversation, I'm just soaking up this information from these guys who are just absolute experts. And you know what I noticed out of those guys is they're still in a learning phase and their mentality is still in a learn. These guys, these are guys that knock down one to three elk a year, depending right. on how many tags they've got but they're still super hungry and super thirsty for, for new knowledge and, and elk hunting, um, you know, tidbits, whether it's tactics or strategies or whatever the case is. So, uh, that's a, that's a great outlook that, that you had mentioned earlier. And, and I appreciate you saying that because I, I just, I want, I, w- I wish more people had that mentality. You know, and, and the other thing is when I was looking for content, you know, I kind of stayed away from like the TV show kind of, kind of hunting, um, nothing wrong with them and stuff. But if I was looking for like tactics, gritty ground game, you know, 
guys actually showing when it's like day five and they've not seen anything. Yeah. You know, just having that drive. I mean, that's what I love. I really love that raw content, you know? Mm-hmm. Me too. That's what I, that's what I really liked about, um, all, all this, all these YouTube series, the, you know, this like born and raised yes. outdoors, you watch those guys, man, you watch them screw it up so bad and you could sit in armchair quarterback them all day, but you know, damn well, you'd probably done the same thing, <laughs> you, you know, cause I know I would. And, and it's funny cause they'll make a mistake and they'll start making fun of each other and, and giving each other a hard time. And, and for me, I would have screwed it up like 10 times worse than those guys did. And so that's, that's why until I found the Tacticam, man, I have not filmed anything. I just never had any interest in it. Yeah. And I could, I could tell you, man, hunting is hunting, but, but when you add a different element to it, a different, oh man, different challenge to it, especially uh-huh. like, hunt, like, like filming, it, it, it gets pretty addictive, man. You know what? I, I meant to ask you this before, um, we started recording, but I'll just, I'll throw it out there while we're recording. That way it kind of obligates you to give me a good answer. Um, would you come, (laughs) would you come back on the show in like August to discuss, uh, self-filmed hunts, like just an episode just specific to filming? Cause I think a lot of people want to do that. And, and a lot of people are like me that don't know what the hell we're doing with it. Absolutely. You know, I work with a lot of, a lot of great personalities in the industry now, um, for, for reference, you know, I came up with Tacticam. Um, I filmed that hunt in 2017, submitted a video. Um, you know, some of the, some of the guys up there liked what I did. So they gave me a call back and, and said, Hey, we'd like to have you make some more content with us. But oh, cool. anyway, long story, long story short, it's like, um, you know, now I'm the brand as the brand manager, you know, I definitely talked to a lot of people in the industry, um, work with a lot of people in the industry, um, that have social media accounts and or TV shows and stuff like that. So learning a lot about it. And I can tell you that um, there's a lot that goes into it. And I think capturing quality content is like not even half the battle. You know, <laughs> the second, yeah. the hardest part is producing that content or, mm-hmm. um, you know, editing and stuff like that. But the cool thing about a Tacticam system is like you can, you can capture that raw moment and you can share that without having to have high tech gear or knowledge of editing and all that stuff. I mean, you know, that, that elk I killed was at 30 yards. Um, he walked up looking for the cow. I was on my knees, uh, in the shadow of a juniper tree. He looks for left, looks right. And just bugles his head off, you know, searching for that group of, of, of elk. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, three steps later, you know, let the air out of him. But, um, yeah, I've shown that clip not produced that clip probably 2000 times, you know, and every time I watch it and listen to that elk scream in my face, like I still get, you know, the hairs on my arms that stand up. Mm -hmm. I can tell you all day that story and then I can show you it, you know, and it's just a different experience. It totally is, man. I am, I, I could kick myself for not having some kind of video uh, camera option over, over, you know, this is, and I'm talking several decades, man. I've been on some cool right. hunts that I never even, I've, I've had hunts where I was, uh, you know, successful and I didn't even take a picture including of, you know, I didn't even have to do like a grip and grin. I just, I got up to the animal and, you know, gutted it out or, or, or whatever had to happen and, and got it back to the truck. And that, that was that, you know, and, and I just, man, I just regret that so much. So we kind of, we kind of skipped over 
how you came to be, uh, what, you know, your brand manager status here with Tacticam kind of, how did this whole thing with Tacticam come about? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really just right place, right time, stroke of luck kind of deal. Um, you know, I, I was, uh, I was a brand ambassador with Tacticam for a year and a half, Mm kind of came up through the ranks. Um, you know, I ended up doing some coordination for like the regional team members and stuff like that. And then, um, I finished my degree online um, 20 years after I got out of high school. And um, so that would... <laughs> that sounds like me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Teach a new do- uh, old dog new tricks. That's but, right. Well, that GI Bill goes a long way, man. And it was with the GI Bill, I'm telling you. So we, I did it all online and, and then it almost coincided perfectly when I got a call from the CEO and he says, hey, we got this position opening up. You get to stay in Arizona you know, it, it was in regards primarily towards that FTS, that film through scope system, which I imagine we'll talk about here in a minute. But yeah, um, we, you know, Tacticam was born and bred um, out of ground blinds and tree stands, you know, for short range stuff. So when we introduced that, um, that film through scope system uh, late 2018, that was a real game changer for Western hunting. Um, and it, and it's still getting a lot of traction. And so anyway, um, I was helping run the ground game for, you know, getting some quality, some quality talent to help us out with that, that launch and, and everything. So, yeah, so I ended up taking the role, leaving a federal job, which was, you know, it's always risky. Um, me and my wife talked about it for a couple of weeks and ended up making the merge over, but I'm really glad I did because I mean, Jim, I talk hunting all day long. Yeah. I'm so blessed. And you know, it's just one of those things where I don't know if this ra- this wave is going to ride for a year, for five years, for 10 years, but, you know, making some great connections and uh, just really enjoying what I'm doing. Yeah, for sure. No, it's a, seems like a pretty good place to be. And, and uh, you know, for a guy that is not super into cameras and, and I, you know, I don't, I, when you, okay, let me put it to you this way. I open up my package, right? For Tacticam. Right. And I pull it out. And it's like, oh, it records in 4K. I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> so that that's how raw I am at this kind of stuff. Um, now I've, you know, I had to do a little homework and figure out, well, what's this 4K thing? And and um, <clears throat> what I was super surprised with with the Tacticam, and I, I we're, again, this isn't going to be some big Tacticam commercial, but no. uh, it makes it takes great footage, and I the audio is is pretty amazing for not having some kind of external microphone with it. Like right. it sounds good. Uh, and so let's, let's kind of walk through what options hunters have using a Tacticam and why, why a hunter might consider using a Tacticam. Does that sound good? No, I mean, that sounds good. If, I mean, technology, we're, we're thick in it. You know, people are consuming a ton of content. They're creating a ton of content. Um, so the demand is there. And so Tacticam was developed six years ago. Um, and it was, it was for hunters by hunters. You know, our founders, mm-hmm. Ben Stern and Jeff, you know, they they were using yesteryear's technology and other POV cameras. They always had that same issue of that real severe bubble effect where that deer at 20 yards looks like it's 100 yards away once you review the footage. Yeah, you could, you could um, always tell when somebody's using a GoPro because of that. Uh, I they, didn't want to say it, but you yeah. know that. Oh, I don't. I don't mind they, saying it. <laughs> those cameras—they're good for what they do. They, they're action cameras, but the, the other part of the other problem was that there really weren't any 
good dedicated mounting options out there. Mm-hmm. You can have the best camera in the world. And if it doesn't mount securely to your bow, your rifle, your shotgun, it's worthless to you. Yeah. So we design and machine our own mounts too. Um, but yeah, so six years ago we started, um, fast forward to 2018, we introduced our 5.0 camera. Um, the camera is only a couple ounces. It's three and a half ounces. It records in 4k image stabilization. Um, very ergonomic. It's made for shooting, made for hunting. So it's streamlined. We have, um, attachments that go right into the riser of your bow. We got shotgun barrel mounts. Um, we have Picatinny AR-15 mounts. Um, we could also convert them to tripods, head mounts, shoulder mounts, especially for your guys in Idaho who the yeah. legislation is written not very friendly to uh, attaching any yeah, electronic it, I think weapons. that if I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't just let that be known uh, for us in Idaho, you cannot mount a camera to your scope or your bow or or your shotgun for that matter for big game hunts. You now I I had the tactic cam mounted on my shotgun during um, turkey season because uh, that's small game, so you you can do it for that, but. If you're going after big game, you cannot have this electronic device physically going into your scope or mounted to your rifle or or on your bow. However, what what I've done is I use uh, I use the I use the head harness if I can spit this out, and and that works pretty well. Um, and and I'm I'm going to get that bipod setup that you were kind of showing me, where I can mm-hmm. essentially kind of stick that in my pack, and it'll film right over my shoulder. Uh, yes. and, and that's what I want because that's, that's kind of that. I want that keyed in shot when, if, if I'm lucky enough to get an elk within bow range and I get a fling and arrow, I want it on camera this year. Uh, my daughter filmed me last year, uh, with my cell phone when I released the arrow. Uh, but what she forgot was I wanted the elk in the picture and all she got was me shooting my bow. So, oh, <laughs> so we didn't see, we didn't see it hit the elk, <laughs> right? but uh, uh, it was still cool. It was, it was actually just a cool experience having her out there and experiencing that. But anyway, the point being, as long, I just wanted to be clear with Idaho guys, um, you know, don't, we can't mount that to while, while we're actively hunting, you can use it at the range. You can, you know, for target practice, whatever. Um, but uh, there's tons of other ways to mount it from shoulder to mounting it to your pack, to the head harness, everything. It, there's there's lots of options. Yeah, bad bad news for you, Washington State guys as well. Um, uh, it's not a it's not an electronic mountable friendly state. Um, oh, I didn't do know that of, about Washington. Washington State, yeah. And as a matter of fact, I think Oregon changed their legislation like two or three years ago in our favor, or in the favor of you know using electronic like lighted knocks. That's another one. I'm like, why? <laughs> yeah, Idaho that offers you lighted knocks. Right. And it's, it's like, you know, it offers you the hunter no advantage in pursuit of game. Yeah, I know. It's, it's been you a know, touchy issue here. It's been, it's been yeah. a, it's been a touchy issue in Idaho with the lighted knock situation. Good uh, luck guys. I really hope legislation, you know, works for you here soon. Yeah. I, I, I have a feeling that, you know, in, in, the, in defense of the commission, what, what they, what they get hung up on. And you and I talked about this is like, if, okay, if we, if we change it to allow lighted knocks, um, what else is going to get thrown at us? Well, yes. you know, are they going to chip away at us every year? And I get that, but, but there's certain things like guys, I mean, lighted knocks, come on, just, just 
re rewrite that a little bit. It'll be fine. And, and also with cameras, the point is, is they don't want you to have like a built-in rangefinder on your scope or something like that that gives you right. a hunting advantage. So they need to clarify the language that states if it's just something that is filming, um, you know, that's totally different. That's not giving you any kind of advantage. And so it'd be nice if they just clarified the language on, on that. So we could put our tact cam right on the scope because that, that would be pretty badass. Uh, but they're yeah. not going to do it. They're not going to do it because it'll, it'll open the floodgates to other little things that, that other people find important. So I just kind of, you know, I just keep my nose out of it and follow the rules. That's right. That's right. Well, and that's, and that's part of being creative, you know, like you and I were talking about that. Like we've already mentioned some of the different ways to mount tripods, tree stands, um, on your ground blind. Um, yeah. I even made like a little, I made a little um, adapter for the bill of my ball cap. So when I'm at full draw, I'll just angle the camera right in line with my arrow and I don't even have to mount it if I don't want to on my bow, which is I'm, I'm starting to, you know, start to develop some creative ideas. And I think that's what, Oh, I might need to talk to you about that ball cap mount. Yes. Yes. We, we will, maybe we'll do, you know, maybe if I can put some, a couple lines together or a little short video together of some yeah. alternative ways to mount, we can put it on the Facebook page or something. But I think that was when you and I had talked about Idaho, I thought, man, what a great opportunity to go out and, you know, use some of these alternative mounting ways to still produce a, a high end video, you know? Yeah. I think that that would be killer, man. That would be killer. You better get your tag if you want to do that though this year. I think uh, another two or three weeks, they're going to be sold out. Okay. Well then you and I got something to talk about then after yeah. this, this phone call. So yeah, for sure, dude, we need to, we but, need to work that out. But you know, uh, I mean, we are, we are making moves in this industry. I mean, we Tacticam wants to be a name that you can trust and, and use all year long. So aside from just the cameras that we have, which are, which are, you know, low cost, high quality, all that stuff. You know, we, we just launched a fishing camera this year. Yeah. I was going to ask um, you about that. <laughs> yeah. That was like, that was last month. Um, so it, that's our Tacticam fisheye. Um, what, what's the difference between the fisheye and just the regular 5.0? Yeah. So we have the 5.0, the 5.0 wide, and then we have the fisheye. So the fisheye is going to use a wide angle, wide angle um, lens. It's also, it's also waterproof down to 30 feet. So your normal Tacticams are IP66 rated um, for weather resistance. What does that mean? What is that what, IT66? Yeah, so what that is, that's a, that's a weather, that's an element rating. Um, that, so it, IP66 is just a rating given to it that it'll, it'll, anything that you care to hunt in, it'll be just fine. If you drop your Tacticam, your regular Tacticams in the lake and you pluck them out, no problem. So, you know, rain, snow. Okay. That, that's what I was going to ask. So I'm, I'm hunting mid September, you know, it's six o'clock in the morning. It starts raining. Rain doesn't stop until that afternoon. That tactic cam is going to be okay. That tactic cam is going to be just fine. Yes, sir. So with the fish eye, what can you like stick that in the river and, and film the fish getting reeled in? Absolutely. Yeah. Diver. It's Dude. going to be perfect for diving. It's going to be perfect for, you know, one of the cool um, shots that we're seeing right now is like the release videos. Uh, you know, I'm so, going to have to get one of those, man. That's, that's pretty sweet. We'll, we'll definitely get you that. So that we're really excited about the fisheye camera. Not only that, it's got a few different modes than your normal 5.0. It's got a loop feature. So when you're out there fishing, you can, you can do 20 or 30 casts before you catch something. So once you, once you hook on, you land a fish, you just, you just reach down to your tactic cam and you press the, 
you know, the power button and what it'll do is it'll, it'll mark that segment. So that way, when you go back and look at the video, it'll show you, it'll show you chronologically, like when you caught fish or when you, when the ducks came in what? at the blind or something like that. Serious? So, yeah. That and then another awesome. feature, absolutely. And then another feature it's got is, um, time-lapse, which uh -huh. is a really cool video uh, feature for like some of you guys out there that do do, um, you know, editing and or make videos and stuff like that. So you can put on time-lapse feature. Um, I like to do it like when I'm in my canoe getting from point A to point B or, you know, the other day I produced a video. It's just like a minute long of, it was probably about 45 minutes of me reloading in my garage. But, you know, with a time-lapse lapse effect, it came out real neat. Huh. Man, that that's that's badass. That's that's super cool. I, I uh... Okay. And we'll talk later. <laughs> but, well, um, and, I, and I, I, all this tech talk, I know there's guys out there right now that, that understand tech and probably want to know more about like maybe some of the specs and stuff. And maybe we can touch mm -hmm. on those or maybe. Yeah. Let's, let's like, touch on those because what I, what I okay. really want before we move forward, I really want to let the other guys out there know that we designed these cameras to be stupid, simple, one touch of the button mm. when that animal's walking in and it starts recording, no questions asked, nothing. There's no chimes, no jingles, no going, flipping through screens or unlocking your phone. No, it just you kind of vibrates, lets you know it's recording. Absolutely. You can feel it through the riser of your bow. You can feel it through your buttstock or your rifle or your shotgun. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's, very, it's very hunter focused. And, and so all you do is press the button, it records and does the rest for you. So even if you don't understand all the tech talk and stuff, you know, the tech cams come with like basic, you know, preset modes to where you probably don't have to ever go into the app and change it. And then yeah. when you get home, all you do is you use that USB cord, plug it into your computer. You just drag and drop like a file, like, you know, like yeah, it's stupid easy. It's stupid yeah. easy guys. You guys listening to this, I let you guys know if you've listened to this, this podcast at all, that in terms of like some kind of technological genius, I got, I, I got the short end of the stick the on that whole deal. <laughs> Um, it's just not there for me, but, <laughs> but I am telling you right now, if I can use and operate a Tacticam, you can too. I promise you. Like my grandpa could have used a Tacticam who thought the way that you open beer bottles was way too fancy and new age for him. And I'll bet you he, he'd be able to, he'd be able to use one of these cameras. It's, it's way easy for that, but I don't think, I don't want that to like, um, discount the fact that it's, it's advanced technology and it takes great video and audio. Correct. Yeah. And for you techie guys out there, you know, um, we have, there's a free online app. You can go into the app and you can adjust the frame rates is going to make sense to, to some people, you know, if you, you can go from 15 to 30 to 60 to 120, all the way up to 240 frames per second. Um, so, you know, depending yeah, on, I don't know what that means. So what that is, is that, um, it'll film different frame rates per second, which will help you during like high light, low light situations. Um, gotcha. Guys out there okay. who, who are into photography, photography and stuff like that, or, or actually producing their, you know, maybe the light bulb just went on, but um, as far as they didn't know that they had that capability, but you know, it's got image stabilization, which you can toggle on and off. It's got a red dot feature for you um, clay shooters or your skeet shooters, trap shooters. Um, so essentially all of our mounts are designed once you mount them, they're in line with bore. So there's no like zeroing or fooling with it. Um, so you can, you, for um, waterfowl, wing shooters, um, 
trap and skeet, like we just said. So you'll be able to go back and take a look at that video. And if you've been missing all day, you know, figure out my leading or I'm not following through or shooting behind the target, whatever the case may be. So that's a really cool feature um, that we offer. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking. I'm on the website right now. Uh, mm-hmm. this, this ultimate hunter solo package, I think that's the one I've got. Uh, and, in that, well, 5.0. Yeah. You got what, a, you got what's... a 5.0. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. You got a, I, we, we sent you a 5.0. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then what, like, what's the difference? Why would a hunter want to go with the 5.0 wide lens versus just the Tacticam 5.0? <clears throat> Yeah. So you were talking about filming and, um, you know, making, it makes it really easy. The wide angle is for like setting Let's just say if you're a coyote hunter, um, you can set the wide angle up down at the decoy. Oh, and by the way, we got a remote control system to where you can, with one touch of the remote, you can run up to five cameras simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's really cool. Second and third angle stuff. So for guys out there that are actually producing, you know, hunting videos, it makes it real simple to put, you know, a wide angle on your bow facing back at you, a 5.0 pointing forward or on a tripod in your, in, on your stand or, you know, in your ground blind. So the wide angle is really good. It's not, it's not the best primary camera. The 5.0 regular is, but the 5.0 wide is great for those second, third and fourth angles or. Gotcha. Okay. No, that answers that question for sure. I was super curious about that. Okay. And then tell us about this, uh, where did I just, I just kind of scrolled past it. Dang it. Hang on. Uh, we've got the product yeah, packages. What's, what was that? I'm sorry. I the attachment for, for a rifle scope. Yes. So that, that's the FTS, the film through scope system. So the FTS is just a simple housing um, that comes with seven sizing shims that allows you to mount that Tacticam to almost any scope on the market. So essentially you attach it to your scope eyepiece and that tacticam is filming exactly what you're seeing without obstructing your vision. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. So, so that, like I ideally in that kind of circumstance, again, you can't really do this in Idaho. Uh, sounds like you can't do it in Washington either. But if I, if I pop over the border into Montana with my rifle, I can have that mounted to my, my rifle and then I can, I can have another camera kind of like in a head harness to capture everything else going on. Uh, and then you get the shot right through the scope Absolutely. and I like that would make some pretty killer like YouTube content, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. That'd <clears> be and and cool. so that, that just uses the magnification of your scope. So if you have a 25 power scope and let's just say you want to ring shoot steel at a thousand yards or 1500 yards, it, it's no issue for the FTS plus it mounts securely it's not like a real finicky system to where once you get it zeroed, you got to be careful with it. So for you, um, I obviously hunt in the mountains down here in Arizona and stuff, and I'm hard on my gear. Mm. My rifle's tipped over and everything, and it's never been an issue for the FTS. So very lightweight. I think I think the Tacticam and the FTS together is like 12 ounces. Yeah, it's stupid light. It's that's that's the thing that I really liked about this, and and because I've the thing that has kept me from filming my hunts is. A, I always found it to be too, it was, it was overwhelming. I, I didn't know how to operate cameras. I didn't know how to, um, you know, mount them properly so that I can catch the footage and, and all these different things. I didn't know how to transfer it to my laptop. <laughs> as as right. stupid as that sounds, I literally did not know how to do that. So 
Um, that's what I like about this system. It's, it's not expensive. It's super easy to operate. It takes fantastic footage. Uh, it, it, it captures a really good audio. There's all sorts of mounting options. It's easy to use. So anyway, that I'm, well, I'm and starting, the cool, man, you guys should, you guys should hire me to do your commercial. I, I'm telling you, man, I will be back in August and then I'll be back again at the end of the <laughs> season. So we can all recap right, awesome. all, the, all the adventures we had. But you know, the cool thing is, is we've talked about mounting to all these different platforms. One camera will service everything in your safe, plus your bow, plus your crossbow, plus your spear. If you want to spear, you know, it's there, it's all interchangeable. So it's not like you have to buy three or four cameras to service. I'm just know, curious what kind of things you're hunting with a spear. I watch, I watch a lot of Tim Wells. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, actually, matter of fact, I just bought a Tim Wells signature series blowgun the other day by made by cold steel. Mm-hmm. And I already got one confirmed kill on film. It was a little mouse <laughs> in my backyard. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause he, nice. he has these razor tip darts. I guess, you know, he kills, he kills like sheep and, and deer and bear with this little blowgun. It's deadly. That's cool. So I I'm have a try plan. that. I have a hunt plan this fall for this. It's a funky little creature we have down here in Arizona called a coat of Monday. It looks like a ringtail cat or kind of like a cross between an aardvark and a monkey. It's oh, real strange. Yeah, I've heard of those before. Yes. And they come they up come, into the, the wet canyons and hang in yes. those areas. Yeah. 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 So I have this water hole staked out, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to get my ghillie suit on and sit it all day long. And I'm going to try to plug a coat of Monday with that, <laughs> with that blow gun. Do you have to have a tag for those? You just have to have a general license. You don't just, have to just have a hunting actual, license. Okay. okay. Just a hunting license. Yeah. And, yeah, and, I've, and rest assured, I got two tactic cams mounted on that damn blow gun. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I'm, I'm just doing to you what I do to every guest. I'm going to invite myself along and I'm going to go get one of these Calamunday or whatever the hell you called it. Uh, I'll have to make sure I'll have to double check to see if they're in season when you come down, man. Cause they're, they're just okay. a funky little creature and they're, they're awesome. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, man. But you know what? One thing we talked about a couple different platforms. I think one thing that's so cool and it's relevant to Idaho, anybody that's hunting Idaho is new for 2020 that we're launching in um, late July or early August is our, is our spotter LR, which is a 4k spotting scope camera. Oh yeah. That's pretty, that's going to be pretty slick, man. A lot of people can, can use that. Yeah. Um, so that's going to, that's going to be perfect for, you know, obviously the hunt, um, preseason scouting, scouting guides, outfitters money for scouting. Yes. And, 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 you know, there's, there's other, attachments out there that use your cell phone and stuff like that. Let's be honest, guys. We like to be on Facebook. We like candy crush. We like to use our phones for ballistic calculators and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. to have an independent camera system, that's going to cost $299. By the time you buy three or four of those adapters for different phones or different spotting scopes, you know, you're well over that. Um, This 4k spotting scope camera with an LCD screen, man, it's, it's really going to take digiscope into the next level. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now on the on the website. That thing is pretty slick, man. That's that's like a game changer. And that and that and that kind of uses the same almost the same technology as our FTS. So that's going to come with your camera. It's going to take up to 128 gigabyte micro SD. It's got digital zoom on board, plus Wi-Fi's to an app. Um, so you can you know display the image on a tablet if you want. You know, a large tablet. Um, so perfect for like hunt groups and stuff, but it, it comes with five different sizing shims. So you'll be able to one unit, you'll be able to put on any, you know, spotting scope that you have. Yeah, that's, that's pretty slick. 
that seriously, I could, I could see that because you know, um, I don't know for, for mule deer, I'm going to be scouting a lot for mule deer in August. And, uh, that, that would be actually pretty fantastic to be able to bring back, put it on my laptop and just kind of analyze the footage. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you pick up things that you don't when you're actually in the field. And, and so I think that that's, that's killer, man. I'm excited about that. And I'm super excited about your, your dang fisheye camera. <clears throat> I'm eyeballing that one right now. Um, this, uh, so, okay. So August time, Rudy, like first yes. week of August ish. Can, can you come back on? Cause we're like, we're like running out of time here. I didn't realize so much time had gone by. <laughs> which, yeah. which is what happens when we get a good guest on the show. But um, I want you to come back on and we let's, let's talk about the concept of self-filmed hunts. Uh, why, why it's fun. Why, well, like what, what it creates and, and the content that you can create with it and share it and, and just create these memories and all that kind of stuff, but also kind of the, uh, the fundamentals of, of like, like there's a lot of guys like me that we don't know what we're doing with it. And we don't know, what we want to film, what we don't want to film, how to capture good content so sure. that we could share it with people and people will actually want to watch it. Um, are you, you're down with that, right? I'm, I'm down with that, man. I'll tell you what, I've had a fun, I've had a fun time with you today and I'd love to come back on. Okay. Let's, let's plan on that. I'm going to like kind of pencil it into the calendar so we can get you back on um, and, and get to That'll be perfect timing right before season two. Uh, so in the meantime, guys, you need to grab you. One of these Tacticams, go to Tacticam.com. And you guys, they don't pay me to say this stuff. You guys are like not a show sponsor, right? No, sir. Um, but I am putting you guys on the, on the new website. Um, I'm going to put a link on the new website um, just because uh, I, I, I really do like the product. And I, I think a lot of people can benefit by using this. So it's going to be the new website is not totally live yet, guys, if you're listening. But I will have the uh, Tacticam.com in the show notes here so you guys can check it out. Um, what, what closing thoughts do you have, Rudy? Man, don't, don't waste any seasons, guys. Get out there, make time. You know, if you need to save up some money to to go on that dream hunt, whatever it might be, do it and make a plan Uh, real quick. We forgot to make uh, a note. Um, I, I ended up drawing a rifle tag in New Mexico this year for bull in October. Oh, you did? I did because I, I, once again, I got in Arizona. Yeah. So that's just a note. I wanted to let your listeners know is that there's, there's so many um, resources out there. Go hunt epic. outdoors. Yeah. All these other ones that'll tell you draw odds, draw success, um, you know, success rate, all that stuff. And you know, those it's not, it's not science, clear science. It doesn't mean you're going to, make a harvest but man it gives you a good idea of what just improves there. your odds i mean it just just, imp- just look yeah. at it. it improves your odds and that's that's it kinda, is you know that's super important when we're especially when we're talking about tag draw uh so rudy here's the plan man you, you come back in august for the show yes and then you come up here in september for i mean you got to give it at least five days this is this is uh you know this is north idaho this ain't exactly easy elk country <laughs> yeah so, and then uh, go to your hunt in New Mexico, or yeah, New Mexico. And then we might be planning for January. Don't and forget. then I'll come see you in January, and we'll go get a coos deer. We'll go get a coos deer, man. That's tough I, hunting, man. I've been I've been trying to kill, arch, get an archery kill on a coos deer since 2014. So it, it's not easy, man. Oh, I I guarantee you, I won't tag out, but I'll have a hell of a time trying. <laughs> it, it'll be a good time. So yeah, <laughs> no, I've had a I've had a lot of fun. 
man, you got a great show. You got great listeners. You've had some great guests, man. It was an honor to be on the show. Oh, I appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. I, I got one last question for you. Yes. Cause you're, uh, you're army airborne, correct? Yes. Throw a good Marine joke at me. I want I offend oh. the hell out of me. Come on, man. Throw. Oh man. You got a good one. I'm putting you on the spot. I always do this. Somebody I'll tell you I, what? What? Go ahead. No, no, no. I'll, if if you need to, we could wait till the next time we record, and then I want you to come at me with I I the the best marine jokes always come from you airborne guys. Yeah, I have a few, but I'm I'm gonna have to figure out a way to clean them up for for radio. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Western Husband podcast, man. I mean, we kind of a well, I wouldn't say we're rated R, but we're not exactly rated G either. Yeah, no, I'm telling you what, I'm going to, I'm going to come back with one, but Jim, I expect one in return. Okay. Okay. Cause I know you guys at Lejeune, man, you're, you're tough on army boys. <laughs> <laughs> we were tougher on the Navy guys, man. Cause the Navy guys always picked on us. They try, they were always wanting to pick on us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, cool, man, and no, this has been fun, Rudy. I appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah. My pleasure, Jim, man. Thank That's, you for having me. This is, this is great guys. Check out Tacticam, tacticam.com. Uh, you, you won't regret one of these cameras. They're, they're just super functional for, for, cause they're designed by guys that hunt. So it's like our people making something to film, doing what our people do. Um, so check it out. Uh, Rudy, until next time, uh, you take care and, uh, we'll just keep in touch. All right, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. Glad you joined us. If you liked that episode, please tell a friend and let me know what you thought at jimandthewesternhuntsman.com. And don't forget to check out our show sponsors. The links are in the show notes. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain. Mm-hmm.